Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Old Man and Loot, two shows about people who have to believe that what they're doing is righteous. Yes. Have you been, Jenny? How's your? Uh, have your last two weeks been? How's your yeah of weekend? All yeah, that good we shit? had a we had a week off in between for our podcast, and for me, that mostly meant you know taking a little weekend trip, seeing some fireworks, seeing a botanic garden, but also mm. catching up on a shit ton of work, both yeah actual employment wise and outside employment wise um, extracurricular employment extracurricular employment as yeah as they like to say but yeah yeah it it was a vacation i guess but also not really so mm, i'm yeah still the same as ever how about you Helen? oh man um i've been all right i was lucky enough to have the whole week off this week nice um so i've been trying to do this thing where i'm more social and i go out and see people which has 100 percent exhausted me mm. <laughs> um but i've enjoyed every single link up that i've had everyone's great love people love Aww. being social That's nice. it's just that it definitely does drain me so yeah introvert um, I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Introvert, like parading as an extrovert is Mm -hmm. who I am, to be honest. Um, You know how it is. uh, Firstborn daughters, we have to entertain and be (laughs) smart. So it's like trained in me from very early on. But I I definitely did want to just be left alone with my books. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much been me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what in the TV realm? Let's move to that. What did you watch this week, Ellen? Well, other than Love Island, which is finally on Hulu, because we contain multitudes, mm-hmm. I have also been watching The Old Man on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was going to like this show from the first 15 minutes because it's about spies. And if you know me, you know I fucking love anything spy related, spy thrillers. That's my jam. All right. So just an, a grand overview. That's kind of what it's about. But this is actually based on a book. Um, by thomas perry it's just one book and i think initially when this first came out we all thought because it's based on one book and there's only one book that it was going to be a limited series because it's seven episodes Mm. total uh but no after the pilot it got renewed for a second season so congrats to the old man um i guess they're going to go outside the boundaries of the novel which is always interesting to observe uh shout out to my game of thrones heads um (laughs) so this uh this was adapted for TV by uh, Jonathan E. Steinberg and Robert Levin. And man, the Jeff Bridges plays Dan Chase, the the protagonist, um, who is an ex-CIA agent who got wrapped up in the mess of the Soviet war in Afghanistan and had to go into hiding for 30 years. And the series kind of starts with his cover essentially being blown. And it continues as he goes on the run once, you know, his past kind of comes calling again. Um, so five episodes are out now. Uh, there's there's two more and then the series is done. Um, how far are you into this, Jenny? I have watched four episodes of the five mm-hmm. currently available. Okay, that's good. That's enough. We'll get into whether or not you like it in a sec. Um, <laughs> I'm very curious just because I'm super biased about this type of stuff. So okay, I know that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um just to kind of talk a little bit about I would say like the themes. You know, we love coming of age stuff and and I thought this was a very very good coming of old age show. Mm. So it's called The Old Man. Uh it's in the title. 
they don't fuck about. It's definitely, you know, the guy is old. What are you going to do? It's Jeff Bridges. He's 72 years old. <laughs> His age, I think, is very pointed and very real. And it's also a little bit close to home behind the scenes because the production got shut down. Not necessarily that a cancer diagnosis is an indication of age, but it was his health-related issues. So Jeff Bridges was diagnosed with lymphoma uh, when this production started, and then they paused the production for him to get treatment. Um, and he's been in remission since September 2021. Uh, congrats. Mm. Hope that stays. Um, it also The production also had to get shut down because he ended up getting COVID in the middle of his cancer treatment, which is unfortunate, but we are yes. very happy that Jeff Bridges is still alive and working and on the screen and... You know, I think his presence in, in this is very important because like the physicality of old age and of being someone that used to be a fucking assassin and now like is getting older is very well established in the pilot. So it's interesting to observe that as a protagonist, Dan Chase is very run of the mill spy thriller protagonist. So if you like me, uh, love spy thrillers, both the novels um and tv and film you know the, the 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 protagonist in these types of stuff is usually someone that is anti-bureaucratic commits treason in whichever country that he works for you know this is james bond notwithstanding who definitely like skirts around the rules a lot of spy thriller says something about international politics or the way that foreign policy works like between countries and relations and all that um so i'm enjoying that i i like this um Speaking of old men, John Lithgow is also in this. He plays the former CIA, current FBI company man, Harold Harper. It's also really nice to see John Lithgow not be a slimy piece of shit, which is kind of like how he's always been typecast. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying that so far. How do you feel about it as someone that is not biased and doesn't, I guess, I don't know if you do or don't care about spy thrillers, but if it's not your favorite, I'd love to hear like what you think about this. <laughs> I like the occasional spy thriller, um, maybe mm. not as intensely as, as you do, but like Snow Horses, <laughs> I enjoyed that. I love yeah. a nice little you know, spy or mystery sort of type of thing. Yeah. Um, this one, I'll say I really liked the first episode. I mm. I loved immediately how it got into things, where it placed you, what it showed about this character and his habits, his personality, like all these, it, it was a great introduction to the character and to the whole story, like what set things off in motion. Yeah. Um, I'll say I liked it less and less as I mm. continued watching the episodes, especially yeah. I think the, some of the later episodes, like three and four are where they kind of started to lose me. I'm not for any particular, maybe a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Some of it is like, character related uh and talking about yeah. other characters like there's the introduction mm. of basically uh a partner for dan chase or like is number two like um, this woman named zoe the introduction of that character and mm. then also just kind of like the all the m movements going around around like in the background in the shadows there are many many things happening that we are often not very privy to like everyone yeah. speaks so cryptically that it's kind yeah. of hard to get a handle of what is happening. What are the, these characters actually thinking? Why do they think the, the way they do and why do they act mm -hmm. the way they do? So it's, yeah. it's a little bit hard for me to actually keep track of sometimes. So I think that's where some of my disinterest started to, to show up as that yeah. sort of progress and things got more complicated. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the cryptic, the crypticness of it all, I think, is just like 
an ailment of spy thrillers in general. It's almost like they have to kind of show a little bit of ankle, but not completely like yeah. pull the skirt up because otherwise then you lose interest essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it fits the kind of format of secrecy, which is what this world is all about. I get that. I get that. Cause sometimes you can just like take it a little bit too much and then give people nothing to work with. I think for me, I don't mind it because the reveal of things feels good to me in terms of what information we are being given, whether it's through the flashbacks, whether it's, you know, like suspecting certain things. And just so you know, this is going to be like spoiler territory. But what I'm about to say, I think you can figure out if you if you're smart enough, essentially, uh, which is what I did. Also, like, if for you example, read the Wikipedia page, which yeah, I accidentally ex- did in episode yeah, one. Exactly. Or if you just know what Alia Shelka sounds like. Um, <laughs> and um, so, like, for example, like the fact that we just kind of got to who Emily is pretty quickly in mm-hmm. the series like it was in episode two that we got there and i like then, that i did like that reveal i was like yeah, yeah yes they're yeah. not gonna pretend like they're not yeah. gonna like like sort drag of it out yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah everything like that because like we know like we know it's pretty obvious like how many half white half arab actors do you know <laughs> like <laughs> um anyway i don't mind the secrecy because i feel like i'm in capable hands does that make sense? Mm, um, like, as opposed yeah. to something like Lost, where even though I love Lost, I really do. I think the rollout of the quote unquote secrets or the presentation of secrets was a little bit clunky, which made people frustrated. And I totally get that. You know, I was also frustrated. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the themes. I know you mentioned Zoe, but mm. the thing that I find interesting and also different um, compared to like in this genre is the handling of like the role of women. Because at first glance, it kind of feels a little bit like all these women around Dan Chase are helping him or propping him up or he is subjecting them and like forcing them into a life that they don't necessarily want to be in. But as the episodes progress, you realize that there is a lot of agency for these women and there is a lot of power within within this world for them. I specifically want to talk about the role of Abby who is played by the legend uh, Hiam Abbas, uh, who you'll know from Succession as Marsha. So she plays Dan Chase's wife at his age. And then Leem Lubani plays uh, the younger version of his wife, Abby. The Leem version of Abby is fascinating. Um, and I'm really excited to l- learn more about her, especially in the, like, the latest episode. There's a huge reveal um, and... It really took me back and I had no idea. Just the fact that these women are the ones that are the kind of the secret keepers and also the ones that are the truth sayers in a way. I thought it was really interesting and it's quite different. Um, How do you feel about it? Like, how do you feel about Zoe specifically? Because you mentioned her, I'm curious Mm -hmm. about your thoughts. Yeah, I do like the greater theme of, you know, the role or agency that women can have in this world in relation to Dan Chase and otherwise like that, what you said of he, they're sort of put into these situations that are mm-hmm. not really fair to them yeah. um, or they don't ask for it, but then yeah. it's, it's how they work with what they've got and flip it around on Dan Chase. And they demand the, the sort of autonomy or agency and control and power mm-hmm. that otherwise would be denied to them. Yeah. Um, like you see that with, 
Emily slash Angela as well, what she does, uh, the decisions that she makes in later episodes that we see. Um, But for Zoe in particular, and Zoe's played by um, Amy Brenneman. Oh, the legend. Yeah, she's been around the block. God, I'm so happy to see her on screen. And I just love that she plays this kind of woman, just like the mysterious clearly very intelligent actress that kind of transfers onto the characters that she's playing she's so good like i'm such a huge fan of her role in the leftovers so i'm just really happy that she's back on my screen anyway yes continue yeah i understand that she has a role in the book she doesn't like come out of nowhere she she is like part of the original story Mm. i also understand that readers from what i can see like feel that she has been changed uh quite a bit at least mm. her introduction of her character yeah my my issue with zoe i think is uh, i i just have like questions of like the logic surrounding the the storylines that involve her like mm. maybe it makes sense in the book or it'll make sense as more gets revealed throughout the episodes but like when when zoe for example latches on to Jan- dan chase um and suddenly is rem- shows romantic interest in dan chase uh mm. i was like where did that come from mm. and when she i guess this is a spoiler he he kidnaps her more or yeah. less again i was that was me questioning more of dan chase's side i was like well why did you do that and mm-hmm. you are a trained you know spy you, you uh, intelligence officer like you don't have to get grounded in people like you don't have to right. have add on to the list of things that you care about in the world that also mm. represent real weaknesses to you. Yeah. Like it in another world, the scenario that played out in his mind at one point of just eliminating Zoe, I feel like that could have just happened. Like, and maybe yeah, the interesting, yeah, maybe the yeah. interesting thing is that he didn't do that and sure, but I just am still not seeing the real logic in this world of why one thing happened and the other didn't yet. Right. And again, maybe this is because we still have more, to come like in the yeah. in the episodes that are, are gonna come out like we will see more that explains why things happen the way they did but yeah yeah for a lot of the things surrounding zoe i was just like w- w- where and why and how did yeah. this happen so can i tell you why it doesn't bother me yeah sure um so one half of it is i do believe the logic that like that morning where they leave where he kidnaps her i do believe that they would make her life hell if not kill her especially yeah. if there's a, there's an assassin on his tail which again spoiler alert like there's an assassin on his tail yeah. on top of the cia my so, question is like why does dan chase care, care. about that after right. knowing so, her for approximately yeah so you know, a that, week this is the second half this man has a savior complex that is mm-hmm. very clearly established from jump yeah. and his flashbacks um including his hallucinations of his wife abby and Obviously, this is the wife in his head, in in the figment of his imagination. This might not be necessarily what Abby was actually saying to him or actually feels like, but clearly he's dealing with a lot of guilt. And I'm fascinated by this whole savior complex of of Dan Chase. And I I feel like as the episodes progress, you realize that he kind of needs to save someone to even want to live or survive for himself. It's like he doesn't know a life outside the realms of trying to protect someone or trying to protect i mean he says it's protect an ideology or protect what's right and what's morally righteous or whatever but clearly he's just more concerned about being the protector 
I guess that's a late- fatal flaw, which a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like in episode five, there's a conversation with Zoe about that, and I buy that totally because. You know, if you've been in hiding and the whole point of hiding is to protect yourself and the people that you love, especially if you have a wife and a kid to protect, um, that's that's your MO. That's the whole point. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm sure he would have just put a bullet in his head very early on and just kind of called it a day. Anyway, so I, I kind of don't mind that part of it. I do, The thing that bothers me about the Zoe character is she's clearly someone very smart and it's almost a little bit too lucky that she's just kind of firming it this much, you know. I kind of don't want to go back to the misery of my old life. Like, this is what we're doing now. Okay, like, I'm now going to make this work for me. Which I think was, she got to that point a little bit too quickly for me. So that's the part that I don't buy. I buy that she gets there because there's clearly some kind of, like, compatibility between the two, which is based in their personalities. But... Yeah, that that part, I was like, maybe we could have held off on that for, like, one more episode. Yeah, things are, I mean, f- from the nature of just such a short first season, yeah, things yeah. are kind of packed in. Yeah. I don't, obviously, they want to keep it packed full of action, but sometimes they skip over a little bit of the exposition or, like, the extra sort of breathing room that maybe a, a couple more episodes would afford. Right. But, like, from episode to episode, there is a lot of breathing room, which I... I like from scene to scene i should say and i really love that about this i think this is to me it's really hard for me to say this to people because i know it can't be helped but this is not a second screen show like you kind of do need to put your phone down and watch it and the reason for that is because there are a lot of scenes that just you just sit in the scenes like you're in a scene for like at least three minutes five minutes sometimes like and it's just purely dialogue and you have to listen to what they're saying and there is something profound being said and I, I really like that about it. Also, like, not even just the dialogue scenes, the action sequences, like in the pilot, that fight sequence between Dan Chase and the CIA guy. That was, was really good. So good. It's so good. Like, Some of the best, like, fight, fight sequences, I think, on, on yeah. TV right now in general. Because it was realistic. Because it was literally like, oh, yeah, this would, how it would, this would be how it played out, which yeah. is a struggle and it's, yeah, long, the fight and to survive. Right. And it's fragmented because it's like people are tired and then they just need a breather and then they get back into it. It's really great. Like, I, I love that one. But the, the other scene that I really appreciated was the dinner scene between Zoe and Dan, uh, where they go out to dinner and they kind of talk about the death of their marriages, essentially. I, I don't know. It's just there's something very film-like about it all. Like, the way that it's shot aside, just the way that these scenes kind of play out, the way that you kind of marinate in the scene. Um, You don't see that very often. I think that's just because, like, the way that TV is made now, everyone's competing for the second screen. Um, But I really like how we just kind of settle into it. Do you like that about it? Was that something that bored you? Um, I'm always curious in terms of, like, different people's, like, attention spans, but... No, I like those. I think really what mostly threw me is like, I don't get the entire arc of some of the the character development and motivations. No, I get that. I think, the like you mentioned at the top, it is very cryptic, some of the dialogue. I think that's my critique of it is it's a little bit self-serious sometimes. Like the scenes read a little bit too... <laughs> like like it, too like genre like too... right i think the 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 information that's being given to us is fine i just think the delivery is a little bit self-serious sometimes i just want to talk about the way that i briefly mentioned it but the way that it's shot 
Mm-hmm. I think this is the most film, like movie, like TV series on TV right now. It just feels like I'm watching a film every week, straight up. Like it's so impressive. The first two episodes were directed by John Watts, who I didn't really know who he was. And then I Googled him and I was like, oh, he's the director for basically every single Spider-Man film that's come out in recent times. Like he did like No No Way Home, Homecoming, Far From Home, like all of them. So he's been in like this Marvel universe for a minute. So you can tell you can tell that this guy has just been like waiting for something like this to come along because he's in his bag, dude. Like it's so well shot. The blocking is amazing. The lighting is incredible. I'm just, I'm having a great time. Like, all the short setups are amazing. And I think it's been, like, him two episodes, so he establishes the feel of the season. And then there's, like, two episodes for another director, two episodes for another director, and then one episode for a different director. So it's kind of like, there's, there's, uh, they get to have fun over two episodes. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to give a special shout out. To fan favorites, also my favorite, the best dog actors in the world. (laughs) Shout out to Freya and Kane, who play (laughs) Dave and Carol, which I'm obsessed with. Shout out to dogs having human names. Yep, the best. Amazing. What the hell? They're so, they're so, first of all, they're Rottweilers, so they're not necessarily like the cute, like, they're not cute dogs, but they are adorable and they are fantastic scene partners to jeff bridges um i recently looked at photos of the red carpet for the old man and they are dressed up in like little tuxedos and they're running down the red carpet (laughs) and they're so fucking cute um shout out to them um spoiler alert i don't know if we're gonna see them for the remainder of the season oh uh, because they get yeah they get given to no 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 like oh no no dead dogs no dead dogs um Oh my god, I would riot. I would riot if they killed those dogs off. Um, no, they've just been handed to some caretakers while Dan goes and takes care of some business. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm... As long honestly, as they're okay. Th- as long as they're okay, please. Oh my god. I, how do they do that? Like, just shout out to the owners for training these dogs. Just amazing. Um, yeah. Animal actors yeah. are just like a whole other, like, amazing. Those dogs are better actors than some of the actors that we've seen on TV recently so say make of that what you will um but there are two episodes left of the old man i'm really curious to see where they leave off i have not read this book so i have no idea what's going to happen um but i'm really enjoying this i'm really enjoying jeff bridges i'm really enjoying amy brenneman and uh the rest of the cast is is honestly fantastic surprised to see ali ashoka in this kind of role um Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm pleased for her and um yeah i'm excited for season two and and I hope Jeff Bridges stays healthy. So for this week, what was on your docket? So this week I watched Loot, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it's a comedy series or sitcom light uh, like series that was created by Matt Hubbard and Alan Yang, who, I mean, you probably recognize their names. They've done a bunch of work and together they've worked on... Parks and Rec in the writing room. They did the series Forever, which also starred My Rudolph and was canceled, and a bunch of other things. So, uh, this show is in its first season. There are currently five out of ten episodes available mm-hmm. as we record this. Yep. It stars My Rudolph as Molly, who is the wife of a tech billionaire who divorces him after he basically cheats on her and replaces is like gearing up to replace her with a younger hotter model you know wife sort of thing so they never sign a prenup because they actually fell in love 
before any sort of rich entrepreneurial stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. So Molly is left with $87 billion and has a whole lot of free time now to play around with uh, that money. So this is obviously very sort of Mackenzie Bezos inspired, like yeah. iconically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Molly, similar to Mackenzie Bezos, she decides to channel her money and her energy to uh, charity, more or less. Mm -hmm. So she has a philanthropy organization that she forgot that she had and ultimately she decides i'm gonna devote all of my time and energy and fortune to this to make the world a better place yes and so this series also stars uh michaela high rodriguez as foundation director sophia joel kim booster as molly's assistant nicholas uh, ron funkis as molly's cousin slash an it guy named howard and nat faxon as an accountant at the foundation named mm. arthur so how far along in this are you, Palin? And, and any initial thoughts so far? I have finished three episodes and I'm so underwhelmed. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I don't think I'm having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I have to kind of concur with that. And I think it's also interesting our reaction because there's so many things in the show that are like, they're kind of like set up to make it succeed. Like they, it has a lot going yeah, for it in terms yeah. of budget. Um, mm -hmm. It's cast. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Maya Rudolph is so beloved. She's very talented. Yeah. Um, she has not quite had a star vehicle for her yet. That's like entirely her own. Like, yeah. of course she was on SNL. She's been in a ton of shows and, and films and, uh, people love her whenever she pops up in a cameo or a small mm -hmm. role anywhere else, but mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. missing that sort of like signature project, like uh, Tina Fey, Thirty Rock, yeah. Amy Poehler, Parks and Rec, etc. Like those are her peers. Yeah. Um, I think Loot is supposed to be that project for her, but as many critics have pointed out, yeah, it does a huge disservice to her. Yeah. And let's get to the root of the problem, which is that, in, in my opinion, like the show it just comes down to like the conceptually in the writing, like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, which yeah. means like it's both striving to make somehow a biting satire of extreme wealth and out of touch billionaires. But also it wants to make sure like equally that it's protagonist who is an out of touch billionaire is still likable and yeah. sympathetic and you yeah. root for her. Yeah. And those are just sort of, I think, diametrically opposed like there's nothing wrong with wanting people to like your billionaire protagonist but that then sort of cancels out the first half of your aim like yeah. it just makes it totally toothless yeah i think as a protagonist she is someone that should be more intelligent than she is presented to us that's yeah, my whole she doesn't thing. know how to do the most basic things and the show wants to attribute it to her being in a bubble but yeah some of that stuff is like no, like she's just straight up an idiot. I think, <laughs> right? That's, and that's the issue is that you can make a rich person look stupid and out of touch without them being actually stupid. Um, yeah, they, it's just like not smart. No, it's not. It's very broad. It's not smart humor. It's not no. smart writing. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like if this was produced and released in like I don't know, like the eighties, I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, that's yeah. fine. But it's not like we've we've reached we've reached this point now where we want a little bit more complexity, and it just doesn't work. That sometimes, but like, there are like glimmers of her being emotionally mature, but then like most of the time she isn't. Like I don't care. Like I I think the whole thing that you said about have its cake and eat it too about like a critique of rich people. You can have a critique of rich people 
and the critique is even better when you increase the bar up to when they mm-hmm. think that they're smart and they think that what they're doing is fine. It's yeah. being rich is in and of itself a very complicated thing to be in this world and many people that are rich don't know how to tackle it no matter how many degrees they have no matter how much they've thought about class and all that shit like they can still be out of touch i just yeah that annoyed me so much because I, I was like and also like yeah. maya can maya can play someone smarter than this why is she act, like why why does she have to play a dumb person i don't yeah. get it don't yeah know. she's very like she exudes the charm and brightness that she is so capable of but they don't really give her much else to work with it's all very surface level and again that's just like a a big disservice to her as a performer and and the show in general and yeah i agree like i don't think we need like loot to be a succession but one thing that succession excels at is both skewering these depraved out of touch billionaires but also making you the viewer feel sympathy or even like them at times yep and that is just from like really good writing that gets yeah. at the emotional resonance yeah. and the character specificity and just like humanity. Yeah. If Loot wanted to pick a lane to just be a funny workplace sitcom about this wacky group of people at a nonprofit, yeah. one of whom is a billionaire, I th- I think that would have been fine. Yeah. That would have set the bar lower for them. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have been as ambitious, but mm-hmm. you know, it's a sitcom formula that works. But yeah. they also want to somehow have this profound message about being accountable as a, as a billionaire and like growing and yeah. uh, having a social conscious. Yeah. And it's, it just like can't carry that aspirational or ambitious goal. It, it's not yeah, no. strong or intelligent enough, I think. No. And it, the fact remains is that she still has $87 billion in her bank account. It doesn't matter how much she's trying to grow. As long as she has that money, it's hard to feel like you're in touch with her. You know, mm-hmm. and I I think there's just a better way to deal with that kind of cognitive dissonance between what's sitting in her bank account and her lifestyle and what she actually wants to be, or like says she yeah. wants to be, and like what that means and what she's jutting up against. It's just yeah, and like honestly, yeah. like just this is a small gripe for me. There are some things that just don't make sense. Like there are things that she just wouldn't, she wouldn't do or wouldn't be like, or her life wouldn't be like that you know based on the amount of money that she has there's just because that's the thing that succession does really well is like it really communicates how these people are aliens like they are they they just don't live in the same world that we do and it's not necessarily the showing of the luxury it's just the way that they think about things yeah yeah like placing them in a room with normal people is what really shows the the vast difference in just like their attitudes, like their actions, their thinking. Yeah. And here, like it places Molly in the same room as, as normal average people all the time. Yeah. But except for some like dumb, you know, flubs about like, I don't know what a binder is or like, I, I've never used my office. Like right. it, it's these very, um, broad sort of slapsticky mistakes. Yeah. Versus her just like fundamental thinking being totally warped from yeah. living in a separate world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just like sort of erases any tension, the inherent tension in that facts. And like, yeah, in her household, when she has like, a, she has a household of like 50, you know, housekeepers, maids, yeah. like private cooks, gardeners, everything. And everyone's a big happy family. And sure, maybe that could happen. Like your employer might be really nice. Uh, sure. Like maybe you get to enjoy the, a bit, bit of that lifestyle. Uh, uh, fine. But like the, the reaction of, they are just made so 
infantile. Like when she's like, I'm going yeah. to work, you guys. Like, just stay here until I come back until six. Yeah. Um, and then once she leaves, everyone is like, I don't know what to do anymore without Molly. I'm going to miss her so much. Yeah. And then other people are like, oh, let's have a pool party. Yeah. And it's just so... It's just like that would never happen. Yeah. That wouldn't happen. I just... Fun, I guess. But it's just so... It's really condescending in a way, too. Yeah. I just think that when it comes to extreme wealth, you have to lean more into satire. And it's why yeah. Succession works, because it leans so far into satire that it's almost real. Like, we, we feel yeah. like these people actually exist in this world, you know? There's just not enough satire in this. Like it, do- it yeah. doesn't poke fun at it enough. It just makes you. It just shows it to you, which isn't enough. You don't. I don't need to see the changing rooms are insane. And yeah, like yeah, good job on the budget or whatever. But like, I I, I don't care. Like this isn't. Yeah. I, I think the uh, I think the first episode was the strongest in the satire in in that it really yeah. pins her when she is still in the bubble. Like the bubble has not popped yet. Yeah. Um. She and. Her husband, who is played by Adam Scott. Shout yep. out to Adam Scott. <laughs> Shout out to Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is that is a satire at its strongest in the show. And then, you know, once they put in the normal world and they want her to be, you know, this just this person who's learning how to be normal and yeah. very likable and stumbling on along the way, but everyone still forgives her. You know, that's where it starts to really fall into this trap of like, I, I can't skewer her that much anymore because we actually really like her and we want the audience to like her. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's just a fundamental problem. And yeah. I also say like a smaller gripe is that a lot of it feels kind of dated, like pandering and yeah. dated in terms of just like the references or yep. things that are going on. Like yep. I'm thinking specifically of like when Arthur's teen daughter, she gets to ride in the helicopter with uh, Molly and Arthur and Somehow, her the selfies that she's taking of herself are all horizontal. Yeah, we don't. Which do that. I know it's a tiny gripe, but we don't do that. <laughs> Only people who are yeah. like yeah. older than forty five or like fifty, like younger people who are especially teenagers, they do not do that. Yeah, and there, there are just so many other references that make it. S- like they're designed to go viral in a way like yeah. hot ones she, molly goes on hot ones that clip yeah. is already going viral on yeah. on like social media right yeah. now yeah and they also have two not one but at least two tiktok actors oh my god so many tiktok actors <laughs> the thing amazing. is like hacks does this too like hacks hires tiktok actors as well mm-hmm. but yeah. it's just it was it was that plus like all the other cameos that you see in this oh just it's a bit too much yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That said, I I do think Caitlin Riley, who's one of the TikTok actors, I think she's good at what she does in her specific yeah, yeah, niche. Yeah. yeah, that's true. She was in, let's see, she was in Barry recently. She was, yeah. I hope she continues to get to do that. So yeah. I don't mind her so much. But it's just the overall, you know, idea of this. Was there anything in the show that you did like <laughs> while we're oh. sort of ragging on it? Well, some line deliveries are funny. Um, yeah, I Joel also, Kim Booster is, is usually pretty good. At yeah, he's he's great. Um, I'm just really happy for uh, Michaela Jaime Rodriguez. But yeah, I mean, I think other than that, I don't know. That's that's yeah. pretty much it. Like, there's some funny moments of it, and I I'm happy for some people that are getting jobs because of this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be renewed for a season two though. So. Yeah, I really don't know. Like, I think it basically comes down to like, is Maya Rudolph's star power like enough for apple to want to keep this going as like a 
a vehicle for big name. And I, I'm really not sure. I don't know how many, I don't think many people are watching this, to be honest. Mm. Um, part of that is because it's on Apple TV plus, of course, which is yeah always dealing with a more limited audience, but yeah, I don't know. Are you going to continue watching the rest of the season as it comes out? No. Okay. Well, that sort of says it all. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's just, there's just <laughs> too much stuff going on right now for me to, I mean, maybe if I'm truly very bored and I've watched everything and, no, there's too much good TV out there, man. Can't That's be doing fair. this. Like it's the, it's the first one to go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, probably not. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I think it's I think it's sort of up in the air for me right now too. It's I am looking for a lot of TV, but I think if you just need like a half hour comedy to kind of fill that gap in your TV viewing schedule, maybe this could do the trick. Mm. Um, but. I wouldn't like subscribe to Apple TV Plus explicitly just just for this. So consider yourself warned. This week in culture, kind of a fun one. <laughs> in yeah. case you, uh, if you're unaware, Minions: The Rise of Gru has been released. This is in the Despicable Me universe, which I personally haven't seen any of those films. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, for it, it, I know it's a big hit. Yeah, and same. This film in particular, it's kind of gone off the rails because it has become a huge online phenomenon and meme and like youth obsession in an ironic, post-ironic way. Yeah, like we are seeing theaters getting bombarded with like teenagers wearing suits and and sunglasses, and they are getting into these late viewings or sometimes day day viewings um, and rioting. They are like just basically having like a mosh pit in the theaters and hooting trashing and hollering everything. is what yeah is hooting what and hollering just, just rooting and tooting um and, <laughs> and it's just like very it's kind of amazing to observe i think that for all the levels of the phenomenon and also what it means for theaters itself but yeah what are you making of what's happening with this gentle minions uh yeah i was about to say you need to call them by their name baby these are gentle minions um what do i think of it i think it's hilarious and i think it It is funny it should continue being a phenomenon um i do feel bad for the parents that have tiny kids that are dealing with (laughs) riotous teens uh that just wanted to have a good time with their kid um and the theater workers who presumably yeah yeah uh, yeah definitely cleaning up a whole bunch of shit listen you know that scene in the lost daughter where she just is telling the teens to shut the fuck up um (laughs) i've been there i know i know what that feels like um so tough it's tough when you're not the one having the fun however yeah i think the kids are gonna be all right um i do think this is hilarious it is is hilarious i will say like i I also have never seen any of the films but Mm -hmm. it's funny that like a lot of people uh were talking about why gen z is really into this shit and i was like well what didn't the first for me it was like it made sense because like the first film came out in 2010 which probably when they were kids it's been 12 years since the first film they're growing up with this shit so for me it's like this is probably their child like this is their toy story in a way like Mm. the the stuff that we first saw and it's just that the application of the social media and the trend of it all um is is the different part yeah um, yeah and like we're gonna link to in our in our sub stack we're gonna link to like a, a smart write-up by ryan broderick for uh, his newsletter garbage day but essentially he does sort of traces us back to several different factors like pellin you said a lot of it is nostalgia of course yeah. but also it's like this specific sort of 
nihilism and um, shitposting that yeah. Gen Z in general they are very into yes. and you know i can relate i I, lo- I love a lot of that shit too yeah um it's it's another example of something that is started out online a combination of many different memes and then they culminated into this bigger inside joke that people can see on tiktok and that spilled over into the real world real yeah. life yeah um and again this is all very like several levels of irony deep yeah and then yeah. so yeah now we're seeing Everyone heading up to theaters. Some theaters are banning the sale of tickets to teenagers in suits and teenage, like sunglasses. Teenage boys specifically, I think. Yeah, a lot of it is teen yeah. teen boys. Police have been called up to break up some of what's going on at some of the theaters during oh these God. showings. Uh, it's all very, it's a mess, but it's, it's, a it's very funny. Can you imagine being like the lone dad that takes on all the, all the gentle minions? Um, <laughs> it's kind of like that Matrix scene with like all the Agent Smiths just, just kind of surrounding Coming him. at them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I, not to get too heady about it, I think it's great because, you know, these teens are dealing with a lot right now, man. They're dealing with the crumbling of society. And I think for them, just dicking about and, you know, nothing matters. Uh, we're just gonna get dressed up and fuck off and go watch this film about ostensibly nothing of value. <laughs> um, about Gru I, as as a child or something, whatever that means. I mean, I don't. I, I'm mean, good name Gru. That's yeah, great name. Um, but uh, I I appreciate the nihilism of it yeah. all. I think also, I totally get it. Yeah. Also, I think the marketing team of this movie has to be congratulated. Yeah, man. Like they've been playing into sort of the meme with very admirably yes and yeah i i guess probably someone on the side like of the the studio and the execs and the the creators they must have known because they they really they got everything that they needed for this film to be yeah, uh, a big meme success i and mean so far this year it's one of the most profitable films um yeah i think the previous sure. films have definitely made over over a billion if not a billion which is wild which is again nuts. um we haven't seen any of these so we can only observe from yeah, afar um but yeah, I think it also raises an interesting question about, like, is this the future or a possible future yeah. um, for theaters yeah. and, you know, real life viewings? Because as we mm-hmm. all know, theaters have been struggling to get people in seats, especially during the pandemic. But something like this is really where, I don't know, it, you could see a future where these screenings are specifically set up like late night screenings mm-hmm. for teens and whoever viewers to come in and basically trash the room to yep. have it be a whole interactive sort of thing. Like yep. this is in part what like the Alamo draft house, like yeah. what they do with their late yeah. night screenings. Yeah. And that seems to be working pretty well for them. Yeah. Um, so maybe in the future, more and more theater turns into something like this. That is a spectacle. Yeah that's an event that everyone sort of has wants to be part of because yeah. they want to TikTok and like Instagram themselves doing yeah. that. Well, I think the main thing for me is like, are we going to start green lighting films or having films especially designed f- for the sake of getting shit posted so that it can turn into a trend and it can turn into something that teens or other people feel like they are a part of something whole? Um, I'm I'm sure that people will try. Yeah. It's just like it it always turns cringe when yeah. sort of the intent it's is too to obvious. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, something about it has to be 
kind of organic yeah. and random yeah. and also tied to some like deep internet lore like yeah, something definitely. that is like so niche online yeah and then it sort of balloons out from there so yeah like i'm sure people will try like we, we see all the time in in tv now especially like um people designing like these viral moments or trying yeah. to write lines that like are again go viral in on on twitter or yeah. like in some tiktok clip or something like that yeah but it often it just like does not work yeah no maybe we'll we'll see i think yeah especially maybe if we get more filmmakers who grow up like truly from this generation yeah maybe it'll just be like a kind of more organic filter through of that of a specific viewpoint that they that they feel might speak to their their cohort but yeah we'll see i don't know hard hard to hard to make that happen uh very organically no i mean you don't want to be jennifer lopez with trying to do her love don't cost a thing trend which just died <laughs> as soon as she tried to make it a thing yeah no i mean hopefully hopefully that maintains um but i'm uh i'm gonna continue not watching the Des- despicable me movies no. um i'm curious if people so- like like the teens who watch it the the younger people who watch this for shit posting purposes do they actually like it? Like, what is their opinion of the so, film? So that's the uh, thing. I've heard that people kind of walk out. Like, re- oh, they just show up for like yeah, the they first show up for like the first fifteen twenty minutes, and then they just leave. We're sure, okay, that's funny. Like, whatever. It's your you paid for the ticket or do whatever. The yeah, you want, theater you know what I mean? like, your money. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's the peak of cinema. If that's yeah. if that's really the question. <laughs> um, but well, good enough to yeah, satisfy the, my curiosity. Listen, the kids are going to be all right. You know, that's kind of what it comes down to. So that is us for this week. If you're watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our fantastic substack, criticismisdead.substack.com. Thank you, Jenny. Um, And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and maybe tell a friend about us. That would be lovely. Uh, We will be seeing you all next week. Bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Chijon. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.